This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Yo, Eagles Nation, stand up. Yo, how'd Barkley put it? <laughs> Looking like another grease pole night in Philly. 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 Thanks. What's up? What's up, everybody? Welcome in to episode 43 of the Grease Pole Podcast. Appreciate you taking part and starting your week here yet again. With me on the pod, every episode, as always, is available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. New episodes drop every Monday, the beginning of the week. Let's start it off right. Pour yourself a strong one. Let's talk some draft. Today it is officially draft season. It's been draft season, but this is now the part where we really start delving into it. I think we're about 50, 51 days to the draft, something like that. So it's getting close. Your boys officially put his PTO in at work, so the Bender weekend is is scheduled and ready to go, and I cannot wait to abuse my liver for about four days and hopefully not have Howie Roseman piss me off, but good luck with that. Uh, Loaded episode today. Cannot wait to get going. You know, Justin, I think this has probably been – it. I don't want to downplay any other week, you know. Like, I'm excited every week to do this. Uh But I think this might be the most excited I've ever been for a night of pod. Dude – I because I think I think we come in every week and we're like oh yeah you know we like doing the show and yeah and whatever but like it's rare that we have something like planned that we're like yo yes giddy <laughs> and this week has been ridiculous it's been GF. busy it's been awesome like a big board episode here you know mm-hmm. your boy gets a hard on for draft talk mm-hmm. and we've got selection show for gear freaks the gear madness tournament drops tomorrow so we find out tonight after this episode what we've got in the round of 32 oh man and again like just the fact that everybody we'll talk more about this on gear freaks but like the fact that people were like amped 
yeah the tournament yeah and mad about our selections and stuff I'm pissed like, yes pissed we've heated. done our job <laughs> we are the ncaa right us. right we have officially motherfuckers were mad at your boys last week the discord was popping you need to get in the discord with us uh hit us up at gear freaks pod on ig or twitter either justin or myself will get you the link uh we were just talking before coming on about last week after the selection show the discord was live af yeah and next thing i know like i'm out on the front porch firing off heaters <laughs> and i click out of the app for a second to check fantasy hockey and i'm like yo it's 1207 a.m like my alarm goes off in five and a half hours i gotta fucking go to bed but like i don't want to yeah like because it was, it was off like we were going nuts like suddenly i, I don't know probably like 10 o'clock i was like because i'm just thumbs going dude and i i'm like i don't know what we gotta do but this is great <laughs> it was it people were irrationally pissed that we didn't put their teams in mm-hmm. which makes me happy oh dude 100 100 percent. we'll like, talk more about that too because it's spawned a whole nother tournament oh yeah uh, dude i i, I, I draw <laughs> i can't wait to find out who we've got ahead in the round of 32. I know the round of 64 drops tomorrow, the initial, you know, the selection show. Mm-hmm. And you can vote, everybody, uh, at Gear Freaks Pod on IG. Uh, we found out, obviously, stories. Your boys never put a poll together on IG before because <laughs> why would I do that in 2021? So I'm kind of behind with that shit. Come to find out it's only, you know, stays available for 24 hours. But Twitter, of course, you can set – he said it as long as you like. Which you know? is awesome. Yeah. yeah. So if you're if you miss out on the IG, head over to at Gear Freaks Pod on Twitter and it's available up until what, Mondays, I'm guessing five ish. Yeah, I, PM? I said it for it I think they started ta- uh tapering off at nine AM. Okay. Because as I was putting them up. Right. So yeah, one you got for seven days. Yeah, and you know, we need time to to tabulate. Yes. Of course. Which there's legal pads are handy legal (laughs) pads are handy and you could also shoot us uh shoot us a dm hit us up we will get you in the discord as well um i'm just saying like there was voting in there too yes yes if none of those other ways you know appeal to you hop in the discord get in the discord and you could be active in the conversation too Mm -hmm. or you can you can do what certain orange turds accuse the dems of doing in ballot stuff i guess (laughs) Yeah, I, I mean, if you want to vote for your squad on all three platforms. I mean, I don't care. Nope, not a whole lot. There's interaction. So, I mean, you know. I'll take it. Well, yeah, we're good. So, if you, I mean, you can you can three vote yourself your favorite squad if you just, you know, all, all three platforms. And, I mean, it, every vote, as we were talking about before we went on, I mean, I don't, I don't want to sound like Don Lemon here. <laughs> Every vote counts, though. Yes. You know, especially as we start kind of whittling these brackets down and the tough matchups really start. Oh, yeah. Some of these are going to be motherfuckers to pick from, man. Oh, yeah, dude. Like, some of these were hard enough in the first round. And in the round of 64, exactly, dude. There was a couple where it was like, oh. I don't want to pick this one, but I kind of have to. Dude, yeah. Like, I kept going back before I casted my official vote. The 5-12 matchup in the NHL region of Sens Blues was so tough. Yeah. Well, because the them current Sens, though. Oh, my God, man. And I'm like, I can't. Like, I've always loved the Blues shit. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, I can't. How do you vote against the Sens? Like, they're so good, man. 
Which like, is ridiculous. So I had to, I had to, you know, the, the Blues drew the short end of the stick from your boy there. But it's, you know, and they say those 5-12 matchups are always like those are the ones like upset watch, keep your eye on these type deal. And so just real quick, okay, firstly, I, I have to say this for, you know, posterity, key lime pie. Um, <laughs> we have to get back. Now we're, we, the we clock resets. Yes. Yeah, so we, we fucked up last yeah, week. we did. I mean, it could have been that easy. Right. Either of us thought about it. That's it. But uh, Randy came up in there and called our tournament Homer. He and did. Like, other, other than the devs, and I, again, I don't want to get too deep here, but like other than the devs, I think all of our teams were six or lower. I think so. So I know, okay, it's right here. The Phils were a nine. The Flyers were an eight. I know the Birds were an eight because I remember yeah. being, not to give a ton away, but I was like, we have to make the Birds an eight because I will throw a fit if they're on the bottom half of the bracket. <laughs> so let's just make them eight so they're in the higher half of the bracket. And the Sixers are the seven. I mean, again. The and I think that's accurate. Yeah. I mean, I think if anybody deserved to have been higher, maybe it would have been the Sixers. I think the Sixers probably have the best of the bunch. But, I mean, at the end of the day, man, when you look at what's ahead of it. The Mets were an eight. Uh, the Devs were a two. The, the, the Suns were a six. The Suns were a six. And yeah. that's the only one that I was like, I was steamed at. I honestly think they're higher than a right, six. Right, you know, What are you going to do? You know, know? I'll take a six. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with it. I mean, that's where I was at with the Sixers, a seven. I'm like, eh, okay, if anything else, I can just claim alliteration. Seven seed, 76ers. Yes. That's fun. You know, so it it – People were people were mad, I think, because we left out some, I guess you would say, classics. Yeah, some iconic. But you know, and we've it, even mentioned them as such on yeah this, on Gear Freaks. We so. did an episode on iconic shit, so we're not like no disrespect to the pinstripes here. Yeah, but actual but come disrespect on, to the right, pinstripes. right, get out of here, man. You know, like is it just because it's iconic? Does it mean it's does it mean it's good? And does it mean it's the the top? 12 right of current current year. exactly yeah. conversation to be had i don't yeah. i don't think it is i mean and I, I i people get weird though when you involve their teams like mm -hmm. clark with the stars it's like again all you had to do is just not have a butthole of a logo just or listen to our show and you, you done you would have known that there was no chance the stars gear was making this tournament it should it they're they're a logo away the only the only case he really really made was the Mavs. Like I could have seen the Mavs squeaking in, but I mean, yeah. I still think we we got it right. I think so too, man. Like I I I mean, even if the Mavs snuck in, like I mean, they would probably have been what 14, 15, 16? Like, are they really bouncing one of the top three or four seeds? Mm -hmm. Probably not. What's going to be great is we're going to repeat this exact conversation. <laughs> I know, and I can't wait, dude. I cannot fucking wait to see what 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 we get ahead for the round of thirty two. I've I'll say this again. Like uh, I haven't been this far. We busted out the legal pads last week, yep. and suddenly, like it went from, yeah, man, this is a really good idea. That oh my god, this is the greatest thing this we've is ever done. Christmas morning, dude. Yeah, and it's like you start seeing like once we were putting numbers next to teams, mm -hmm. and you can kind of see like how the bracket's going to shake out. It's like yo, and then. Then getting home and doing the predictions. Yes. You know? Yes. And I was really bummed out because I thought, like, my winner was, I'm like, I feel like this is a shot. And then Clark was like, yeah, we picked the same squad. I was like, oh, man. So now I can't even be like. I did it. Yeah. Like, we got to. did. We Clark get, did, too. Co-champions. Co <laughs> yes. Fuck that. Uh, 
and again, this will get repeated on Gear Freaks uh, next week, but Chris Otto swung hard. He had the Bears, who were a 16 seed, as his winners. <laughs> and we're homers. I know, right? <laughs> and we're homers. Come on. Like, you realize you barely, you barely squeaked in. And they were up against the Chargers. Come yeah, on, man. You're not you're <laughs> not beating the Powder Blues. Please stop. If you've ever, <laughs> ever listened to Gear Freaks. Yeah. Well, and it, it's the Chargers are universally like, oh, yeah. yo, these are the shit. Is anything in the NFL, especially. I mean, maybe you could put the Raiders in there and the Rams before they fucked it up. Yeah. But who's hating the Chargers gear? Apparently, Otto. <laughs> you know? Right. Like, sorry, man. You drew the... You drew the short end of the sticks. The way it works, man. Yep. Yeah. At least, at least you got a seat at the table. It might have been the kids' table with some Dino Nuggets, but mm-hmm. you got a seat at the table. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's more than we can say for some other teams. Oh God, I can't wait to do this conversation all over. I can't either. In like twenty five. I can't either. So let's uh, yeah, let's let duck out here. Keep yeah, pie. we're gonna go ahead. Damn right, the streak is back alive here on the pod. Um. It's uh, it's been a while, people, since we got some good news. Since there's been uh, anything decent uh, in the way of the birds and, and good news, but we had some this week. This week has been solid uh, for the squad, right? So we find out Brandon Graham's going to have his deal restructured. He's going to stay, and then late in the week, we find out Jason Kelsey uh, on Instagram comes out and says the same thing. He's restructuring his deal. Uh, to come back for the 2021 season, he had he's been contemplating retirement now for you know a couple seasons. It's been out there as recently as about a month ago. He was on Chris Long's podcast and said that you know the biggest like dilemma on his mind right now is retirement. So this is something that had been prevalent in his mind, and he is now going to return for the 2021 season. And I could not be more pumped, and you should be too. That guy's a fucking legend in this city, will be forever. The mummers, that speech, that promo, he's a god among this fan base forever. And you got to ask yourself the question, you know, when you start to think, and I've, I've said it too on these airwaves on the pod, you start to think, okay, we're going to be the disaster of the division, right? The disaster of the disaster division. And at the end of the day, I think, and look, I'm not saying the return of Brandon Graham and Jason Kelsey is going to immediately make us Super Bowl contenders, okay? I'm a realist. But I do think when you have guys like that that are a crucial part of this organization on on and off the field, uh, veteran guys that would be, you know, paid elsewhere – and could be that extra piece to help a contending team get over the hump. You mean to tell me Green Bay couldn't use a guy like Brandon Graham? You know, I mean, these are guys that could have gone elsewhere that have won a championship whose legacies are solidified in this city forever, and they chose to stay. They chose to stay here knowing that you know, it, 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 the expectations entering this year coming up are not what they were entering the 2020 season, not whatsoever. So I think you have to look at it and go, man, maybe the reports of, of the demise were greatly exaggerated. Again, I'm not sitting here telling you we're going to be fucking 11 and 5. I don't think that's going to happen. But in terms of the culture, and again, culture matters. Those two guys opting to stay 
in Philly, I think speaks volumes. Just wanted to put that out there. Also, in terms of good news this week, reports came out yesterday from ESPN's Chris Mortensen that Jeff Lurie informed Howie Roseman that he wants him to build around Jalen Hurts. No, None of this quarterback controversy shit. Build around Jalen Hurts. We've got this high draft pick, a top 10 pick, and a very top-heavy draft. Four picks in the top 85. Use them wisely. Use them to put talent around this kid. We think he can do something. And my first instinct was I feel like this conversation probably could have happened after you guaranteed a guy $109 million fucking dollars, right? I, I feel like that maybe could have happened a year ago and avoided this entire fiasco to a degree. But what's done is done. It's irrelevant. Carson didn't want to be here anyway. And if all these reports that are out there of, of his mentality and lack of accountability and lack of coachability and, and some of the things that – that you hear, if they're all true, would you really want his fucking ass here anyway? Right? Jalen Hurts is a guy who has been working and improving to get better this offseason. You see videos of him out there on high school fields, throwing, working on his craft. That's what you want to see from a guy. That's what you want to see from a guy. So I agree, again, I'm not ready to commit to Jalen Hurts beyond 2021. But I think the guy deserves a year at least to see what he can do. And you maximize his ability, you know, with building around him instead of bringing in a guy, you know, competition. Bringing a veteran quarterback, bringing a Ryan Fitzpatrick, somebody like that, uh, that, that's going to educate him, mentor him. That's how you get the most out of him, put pieces around him. That's what you do. You have a rare opportunity with the six overall pick. Use it wisely. With that said, let's get into the big board. And the way I wanted to do this was, Justin, do we have the draft sound ready? I know I'm terrible at this. I don't know. I should start giving you a heads up before we come live. There it is. Yes. Um, the way I did this was I wanted to, because if I did an entire, I'll figure out a way to reveal uh, beyond my top 10 on IG or Twitter, which you can follow at Grease Pole Podcast on Instagram and at Greased Pole Pod on Twitter. I didn't want to do a marathon of an episode. Um, not that there's anything wrong with that, but I figured with the six overall pick, um, it, it there's really only need, and I didn't even want to make this like a top ten thing, but that's what I ended up doing because I fear I figure these are the guys, my ten highest guys on my big board are the most realistic. You stay at six, it does not seem like a move up is going to happen, you know, thank the fuck Christ more likely to move back. If anything, which we talked about last week, I don't think you move out of the top 10 ideally, depending on the deal you get regardless. These are guys that I think come into play. And I don't think it would be a situation where how would trade back to the early twenties or something like that. So some of these guys are not dudes that I would be okay with taking it six overall. I will touch on that. But the way I wanted to do this was bring my top 10 guys to the table given, uh, you know, given, given draft position, right? Six overall where we're sitting at. Spoiler alert, I did not include Trevor Lawrence on here. There is no fucking way Trevor Lawrence is going to be an eagle. No way whatsoever. You could offer 
the Jaguars' 10 first-round picks and ownership of every Wawa in, in Delco, and they're not going to take the deal because that, I guarantee you, with Urban Meyer's Trevor Lawrence is the best quarterback I've ever seen deal, that was a condition of him taking this job was I need guarantee we're taking Trevor Lawrence. If you don't take Trevor Lawrence, he's going to fucking come up with another health crisis and his ass is going to be out of Jacksonville. Trevor Lawrence is irrelevant. Uh, so you will not know Trevor Lawrence on this list. So there's that. Okay. It's just, it's impossible. But here's 10 guys from 10 to one. This is what my big board looks like. And I'll start at number 10. JC Horn, cornerback out of South Carolina. Okay. This guy, if you watch his tape, first of all, he's Joe Horn's son. Okay. Remember him? New Orleans Saints, guy that pulled the phone out on Monday night. Right? You love characters like that. Back when those dudes were having dueling end zone celebrations, him, Ocho Cinco, T.O., all that shit. Joe Horn's son, J.C. Horn, is physical as fuck, okay? He's an absolute animal. If you watch his tape against Auburn, uh, it's very impressive. Very impressive. He's got a skill set to match up with with those X-wide receivers at the next level. If you watch that Auburn game... J.C. Hornet, 6'1", 205, shuts down Seth Williams from Auburn, their best receiver, who himself is a big physical wide receiver. Not every cornerback in college football is going to be able to shut down a guy like Seth Williams with his build. But J.C. Horn's ultra competitive. He's got – he's elite in press man coverage. He, he's not without his limitations, okay? Despite his big frame, he's put a good amount of missed tackles on tape. But you like to see a disrupt how disruptive a player he is when you pair that with his link and his instincts. This guy has great potential. Again, you clean up those missed tackles. That's you know that that can be taught, right? That physicality, though, that dog mentality that J.C. Horn possesses. You either have that or you don't, and J.C. Horn does. Now, again, this is one of those like we talked about. This is more of a trade back candidate, okay? For whatever reason, you know, six overall is too rich for J.C. Horn. But if you could offer a package of picks that you can't refuse, he's a guy I'd move back with in mind. If you move back to, you know, 13, 14, you know, 15, New England wants to move up and get a quarterback or something like that. And in this range, I think he doesn't get past Arizona at 16. But if, if you end up in that early teen range, J.C. Horn is a guy – that I'd be looking at. It's no secret secondary is a fucking need on this team. has been for a while. Darius Slay's in town. That is awesome. But what else you got? What else you got? I like J.C. Horn a lot. He is number 10 on my big board corner out of South Carolina. For number nine, take me to the trenches, my favorite part of football. You don't win unless you can move guys in the trenches. Rayshon Slater, offensive tackle out of Northwestern. Now, it, it's funny because there's you hear talk with Slater that you kick him inside to guard at 6'4 and 315 pounds. He's, it, he's just shy of what you would consider ideal height at left, left tackle in the NFL. Same with his arm length, a little bit short. But this is where... This is where these this obsession with guys' physical measurements can just aggravate the fuck out of you. Because at the end of the day, you know, hand size when you talk about quarterbacks and things of that nature and, and a guy's arm length 
along the offensive line and a guy's height, whether or not he's an inch or two taller. I understand, and you can utilize those things if if you're debating between two prospects at the same position and all things are equal. Then, by all means, use those things as kind of qualifiers. But it's as simple as if you put on the tape and watch a guy, can he play the position? And, you know, Rayshon Slater can absolutely play the position. His tape tells you he's a left tackle. Just ask Chase Young. All right, he understands technique, does Slater. He utilizes body position effectively. The arm length concerns are irrelevant if you watch his ability to quickly reset his hands if he's got to. Right? That's what it's about. Can you reset? Can you adjust on the fly if you get beat initially? Can you reset those hands inside? Slater can do that regardless of what you feel about his arms or his arm length. Uh, He's got a nasty temperament. He can get to the next level, second level blocking. He is the best left tackle in this class not named Sewell, and that's no disrespect uh, to Christian Darasaw out of Virginia Tech, who I also love. But Rashawn Slater's a guy who is another tradeback candidate for me. Love this guy's game. I think he's going to excel at the NFL level, regardless of the height concerns, air quotes, and the arm length stuff. You do not kick this guy in a guard. He can absolutely play left tackle. This is a guy for me that is another trade-back candidate. Six is a little too high for him, but you move back, acquire more picks. You look at Rashawn Slater. At number eight, this guy is going to be a little early for, uh, for for me here on my big board. He's probably higher on most people's. At number eight, I've got Devontae Smith, wide receiver out of Alabama, and we've talked about him here on the pod before. You know the resume at this point, right? Heisman Trophy winner, and I'll say this about him. He can line up all over the field, in the slot, at the X and and Z wide receiver positions, Uh, probably a little more ideal at the Z spot. But the tape doesn't lie. This guy runs great routes, creates separation, which is something this team sorely fucking needs, obviously. He's got great hands, above average body control, which – allows him to play bigger than his 175-pound frame that he is listed as. Again, that is my that's my thing when it comes to Devontae Smith. Buddy is listed at 175 pounds. So in reality, he's probably about a buck sixty-five or so. He looks very slight. He can find those soft spots in in the zone coverage. I will give him that. Again, I think dude can ball. I don't see the longevity with Devontae Smith, though, if I'm being honest. You know, again, the tape doesn't lie. But when you look last year, and we talked about this guy, was one of my favorite players in the draft last year, Brandon Ayuk out of, out of Arizona State, who ended up going, I believe, 25th overall to San Francisco. <clears throat> he weighed in at 205 pounds. Okay. 205, and there were concerns about his durability as a first rounder last year. And Brandon Ayuk fucking killed it. Brandon Ayuk killed it, had a killer rookie year, and is going to continue to show out for Kyle Shanahan down in San Francisco. If there are concerns for a guy that weighs 205, or, you know, and it wasn't everybody across the board, but you saw that, and eh, maybe he's a little, you know, his frame's not as big, but the big thing with Ayuk was his wingspan. It was incredible. But his frame itself, eh, he's kind of slight. 
Vontae Smith's listed at 175. I don't think you can do but so much with that at the NFL level. That's not going to last. You're not going to get a lot of mileage on a 175-pound frame. Yeah, he's going to put on some weight a little bit here, but at the end of the day, I don't think that has the longevity that you want if you're taking a guy with the fucking six overall pick. You take a guy with a six overall pick, you don't want two, three good years. You want eight to ten. And I don't think Devontae Smith gives you that. That's why I've got him at number eight. At number seven, we're going to stay in Tuscaloosa with Patrick Sertan Jr., the cornerback out of Alabama. And he obviously comes from an NFL bloodline, right? His pops was a three-time pro bowler uh, for the Dolphins and the Kansas City Chiefs. Sertan Jr. checks every box. He started for uh, Nick Saban in that we see Alabama's secondary go early every year in the draft first second round they just they keep cranking them out every year it's a factory down in Tuscaloosa Sertan Jr. started in that Alabama secondary as a true freshman think about that so my man comes to the NFL with plenty of experience 38 consecutive starts to be exact when you talk about Patrick Sertan Jr. Great fundamentals. He's got ideal size at 6'2 and 205. He's a good athlete that's got that burst to close in short areas. He's incredible at playing the ball in the air. He's got fluid uh, lateral movement as well, can transition. Now, Sertan's primarily a perimeter corner, but he can also be used in the slot, which he has, uh, which he was in the SEC as well on Saturday nights. Sertan sees the field well. Uh, he can disrupt those underneath routes. The red flag with him is he lacks that top-end deep speed. That's the biggest question he'll have to answer uh, at the NFL level, Wilson Tan. But other than that, he's got everything that you could want. It's just you will see him if you cut on Sertan's tape. Every now and then, he'll get burned deep because he lacks that top-end speed. So you just have to keep that in mind if you're taking a guy like Sertan early. Number six, we're going to stay in Tuscaloosa. Give me Jalen Waddell, the wide receiver out of Alabama at number six. I love this guy's game. He has started to climb my wish list uh, the more days go by and the draft approaches. He's a dynamic weapon is Jalen Waddell. He fractured his ankle uh, against Tennessee this year, so he only played four games in 2020. He's another guy that can line up anywhere in the perimeter or on the slot has everything you can ask for, right? Blazing speed, wide catch radius, can high point the ball. He's one of these guys, if you're an opposing defense, you have to account for Jalen Waddle on every single play. You have to. If not, he will burn you. He's dangerous on all three levels. Another one of these guys that can create separation uh, easily, again, needed in this offense, desperately. He's a guy, much like Jalen Rager last year, which was part of the reason he was picked over Justin Jefferson. Versatility can be used effectively in the return game. He's effective there as well on special teams. Utilized out of the backfield a little bit in Alabama as well. So he's a chess piece. You can move Jalen Waddle wherever, and he's a threat to touch, excuse me, a threat to, to score uh, every time he touches the ball. If you watch his tape against Georgia, you know, it, it proves he can win against an elite college secondary. Screen game 
is perfect for a guy like Jalen Waddle. If you're looking at running heavy screens, if you're Nick Sirianni, Jalen Waddle is a guy that you can do that with and be incredibly potent. There's not a whole lot that Waddle can't do. I think he translates to the NFL way better, way better than his former teammate in Alabama, Devontae Smith. I love Jalen Waddle a lot. I've got him at number six. Live swig of Starbucks. So let's recap before we get to the top five, my big board. Let me give you 10 through six one more time. At number 10, I've got J.C. Horn, cornerback, South Carolina. Number nine, Rashawn Slater, offensive tackle out of Northwestern. Number eight, Devontae Smith, wide receiver out of Alabama. Number seven, Patrick Sertan Jr., cornerback out of Alabama. And at number six, Jalen Waddell, wide receiver out of Alabama. To the top five we go, way too much fucking Alabama in that, uh, you know, number 10 through six. Let's try and get away from that a little bit here and give some love to some other schools. We're going to stay in the Commonwealth here. Uh, For number five, Caleb Farley, cornerback out of Virginia Tech. This is a guy, I, I can't say enough good things about Caleb Farley. He was the first big name, first of all, if you remember, when we started having the COVID opt-outs leading up to, uh, you know, the college football 2020 season. He was the first big name to opt out of the 2020 season. You're going to start seeing a theme through the top five of my big board with some of these dudes. But he was the first domino to fall in terms of projected first-rounders in this year's draft that went, nah, I'm good. Let me prepare for the draft. Now, when you look at Sertan Jr., I think he's he's the more NFL ready corner right now. When you pick, if you're you know April uh, 29th, if you're looking at the more NFL ready corner, you go Sertan Jr. I think Farley possesses the higher upside though of the two. I really do. This guy is an athlete. He played quarterback in high school. He began his college career as a receiver before transitioning to the defensive side of the ball. So. Whereas Sertan has the experience at corner, Farley may not, but you wouldn't know it when you watch him play, when you cut on his film. He checks every box, about every box you would want on the field. Again, nice size, much like Sertan Jr. They're very similar in size, 6'2", 205 pounds is Farley. He's got that length. He brings a quickness with him. He's a tremendous athlete, fluid in coverage. This guy is an alpha in coverage if you watch him exceptional in man coverage. He's very sticky uh, in man. Incredible ball skills with Farley. Incredible ball skills can create turnovers for you. He's got all the physical traits to develop into a true shutdown corner at the NFL level. The asterisk with him is he comes with a bit of a history of injuries. I don't want to label a guy injury prone because I don't think anybody goes out and, yeah, let me get hurt today. Uh, but you can't deny that when it comes to Farley, he's, you know, there's, there's, there's some there. He suffered a non-contact, uh, an ACL tear in 2017. He missed a few games in 2019 with back spasms, I believe. Uh, Justin Fuente, Hokies head coach, said that that was something, you know, he had dealt with all season in 2019, which isn't exactly what you want to hear. But again, he took a year off, so... You know, you sacrifice a little bit of experience, but you can maybe gain that health back as well where you're not throwing yourself at the ground. Speaking of, the one thing I will say on the field um, when you watch Farley, he 
could also use to improve as a tackler. I mean, and much like J.C. Horn. And, you know, again, these are things that can be taught, though. You know, these are things that, that you can teach. You can teach tackling fundamentals. I would argue that, you know, by, you know, this area, when you're getting drafted in the NFL, that should be a thing you know how to do. But keep in mind that Farley was, you know, was a guy that was a quarterback in high school and when he got to Blacksburg was a receiver. Defense is new to Farley relatively, right? So you got to figure that's going to get a little better with experience, which, again, he gave up this year. But – at the end of the day, he's still going to be a top 10 pick more than likely, if not just outside the top 10 and the top 15. So I love Farley's upside. I think he, you know, Sertan Jr. is the more NFL-ready one, but if I had my choice of the two corners, I would go Farley because I love his upside. I think he's got the the higher ceiling for sure, whereas Sertan Jr. has the higher floor of the two. To number four, and you can call me a homer for this if you'd like, if you know my uh, my Saturday uh, rooting affiliation. At number four, Micah Parsons, linebacker out of Penn State. And this is another, he's another big name that opted out of the 2020 season, which, you know, it, it sucked as a Penn State fan because the guy's been a pleasure to watch every Saturday for the last few years, but... When you look at Par- Parsons, he's one of these guys that, you know, when they show the the footage of teams getting off the bus, coming to the, you know, arriving at the stadium on game day morning and shit like that. Parsons is a guy that you you let off the bus first because he's a bad motherfucker. He just looks intimidating, looks like a football player, 6'3", 245. Parsons is the best linebacker prospect since Luke Keekley, in my opinion. I think he's 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 got the potential to be an all-timer in my opinion. You know, and you need that that quarterback of the defense, right? Again, no disrespect to the linebacking core the Birds have now, but that presence is something that is needed that quarterback of your defense and Parsons is exactly that. He played defensive end in high school, logged a ton of snaps at linebacker as a true freshman. And for his size, it doesn't interfere with his speed. He can cover the sideline to sideline, can cover very easily, very fluid. He's tremendous in run support, where his size, you know, right there helps him blow up the line of scrimmage. And whereas, again, we talk about a guy like Farley, and it's different when you're a linebacker. You kind of have to be a tackler, which is exactly what Parsons is. Parsons is a fucking elite tackler. But he's not one of these guys who's going to go for, like, the highlight reel suplex body slam a dude. He's just technically sound. He's going to get you down. He rarely misses a tackle. You will rarely, if you watch tape on Micah Parsons, you'll rarely see him miss a tackle because he's fundamentally sound. Um, You can see his experience as an edge rusher on a blitz. He creates uh, that pass rush pressure either from the edge or in the gaps inside. He can do it either way. He does all the downhill dirty work. Uh, He's able to drift into coverage as well, can cover. He's an intelligent player, can read route concepts and diagnose and react quickly. You know, this is a guy that, you know, again, if if you know me and you know I'm a Penn State fan, you may scoff. He's not a guy that I see linked to the birds a lot. But, man – Knowing knowing what this guy can bring to the table and it it not only you know, I'm not putting this together based solely off of need, but man, it, it, this defense could use a dude like that in the middle. There's no question about it. I love Micah Parsons. I've been watching him every week for the last few years. 
maybe that does inflate him for me compared to some other people that haven't watched him every Saturday. But be that as it may, Micah Parsons comes in at number four on my big board. And now we get to the big, the big hitters, the ones that, for the most part, the couple coming up next are going to be the ones that you constantly hear about on Eagles social media, Eagles Twitter, most of the mock drafts. Beginning at number three with Kyle Pitts, tight end out of Florida. This fucking guy is a matchup nightmare. 6'5", 240 pounds, you know, He's more than just a tight end. You can't think uh, when you look at Kyle Pitts with with T.E. next to his name and you see it in the mock draft, oh, man, six is too high for a tight end. You can't – you got to get that out of your head again. If you could go back and, you know, you put Travis Kelsey, if you know what he's going to be, you know, years ago, I believe it was 2013 when he came out. I could be wrong, 2014 maybe. Travis Kelsey's rookie year, you think if people knew what he was going to be, he would have gone so late in the draft? Travis Kelsey would have been a top-five pick. Travis Kelsey, is a he's a difference maker for Pat Mahomes on that Chiefs offense, the offense that everybody tries to load up on dudes for fantasy because they play for the fucking Chiefs. That is what Kyle Pitts is. He's not just a tight end. He's another guy that can line up anywhere on the field, can run any route, but can do so at 6'5 and 240 fucking pounds. He's a great athlete. This dude has sure hands for his size. He moves very well in space. And, you know, again, keep in mind the size thing. He's not going to blow you away with pure speed, but he's got burst and can get to that second gear, uh, changes direction with ease. And... You watch him, excellent release off the line of scrimmage. He uses his hands well uh, to create that separation, again, that's needed in this offense because none of the receivers we have could fucking do it regularly. So he can create the separation with his hands as well. He's great at that. He can stop and start on a dime, turn his body to the quarterback on quicker and shorter routes, You know, turn around, get square, get ready to catch the ball, possesses incredible body control for his size, Pitts routinely makes difficult catches away from his body frame. Great at making contested catches. I look for Pitts. This guy, he's going to be a dude that's going to quickly insert himself in the conversation with that. You know, Travis Kelsey, uh, George Kittle. If you want to put Darren Waller in that conversation, this is a dude that is going to fly off the board in your fantasy drafts in the first two three rounds. Uh, you know, within two years, I think I think Pitts is going to be that good. I think he's going to have that good of an impact. And when you say, well, we've got Dallas Goddard, though, and again, I have sung Dallas Goddard's praises on this pod. I love Dallas Goddard's game. And you got to think Zach Ertz is going to be traded. There's reports out there from NFL Network's Michael Silver uh, that a deal could be done, you know, as soon as the next few days on Zach Ertz. So that leaves Goddard, who I love, but again, you know, some injury stuff there, off and on sometimes with Goddard, and you got to think that Nick Sirianni is going to look at running some double tight end sets. This is a team that under Doug Peterson ran double tight ends more than anybody in the league with, with Ertz and Goddard. You think that wouldn't come into play with Pitts and Goddard? Come on. I'm telling you, you put these two out here – I'm not – no disrespect to Dallas Goddard. Again, love the guy. Kyle Pitts is better than Dallas Goddard. And 
just the matchup nightmare aspect that you could give Jalen Hurts in this offense if you give him a piece like Kyle Pitts. He's just a chess piece you can put wherever, but whereas Jalen Waddle is a chess piece that is lightning quick that you can put wherever, Kyle Pitts is like a polar bear, you know, that you just you can't. He's got a huge frame and can do everything at all levels of the field. Kyle Pitts, you've got to get out of your head that taking a tight end at six is blasphemy because this guy is way more than a tight end, can bring way more to the table. That's why I've got him at number three. I would not be pissed at all if Kyle Pitts is the name that Roger Goodell calls at six on April 29th, and neither should you be. Coming in at number two on my big board, give me Jamar Chase, wide receiver out of LSU, and some people may be shocked to not hear him Uh, be at number one, and it's certainly no disrespect to Jamar Chase to have him at number two. Um, I love this guy's game. Love him, love him, love him. Uh, Yet another opt-out from the 2020 season, right? And he's a guy, Jamar Chase, that that could have easily been the first wide receiver selected in last year's draft. Uh, Well, I mean, I think the Raiders uh, took the first receiver last year, Henry Ruggs, I believe, 11th overall. So maybe with the Raiders, maybe it wouldn't have been because you never fucking know with them, but Chase has the talent to have been the best receiver in last year's draft class as well, which is the equivalent of the 83 draft when you talk quarterbacks uh, with wide receivers. I think it's going to go down being that way. Jamar Chase could have been picked first. is probably the best of the bunch that got picked last year as well. You look at his 2019 season. Uh, the last season he played with Joe Burrow, that was among one of the best by a wide receiver in college football history. Now, at six foot one, he he doesn't have the height of a Mike Evans or a Julio Jones, you know that you may want. But this is a guy that's got elite speed, elite speed. He's a dangerous deep threat. He's got that long vertical go route speed. So given when you look at that, given the offensive friendly era of the NFL that we live in. Most corners simply don't have the athletic ability to keep up with Chase when he goes vertical. They just don't. Matchup problem. This is a guy, too, that can make contested catches that are bigger uh, than his frame, which is 6'1". He's a great first-step quickness guy. Got that burst off the line of scrimmage. Sudden out of his breaks when he runs routes, he can release off the line of scrimmage uh, in a variety of ways. Again, quick out of sudden out of breaks. So he's effect, especially effective, you know, on those slants and those out routes with with those breaks in the routes. That's that right there is what creates separation for you. He's another guy that's a playmaker at all three levels. He's a polished route runner, much like Jalen Waddle. He's a threat to score anytime he touches the ball. I think this is a guy that he's probably the favorite among Eagles fans is Jamar Chase. That you know, if you poll Eagles fans, hey, who do you want? He's the guy that everybody probably would want, and it's not bad at all. I just I I don't know that he's going to be there at six. I don't. I think you look at Miami at three, um, Cincinnati. If if Sewell doesn't fall to them, if he goes one through four, what what needs to happen for Jamar Chase to fall? I believe is for there to be a lot of action, a lot of trading up for these quarterbacks between, you know picks two three and four there's just gonna have to be um that then allows Sewell to fall five to Cincinnati and should hopefully allow Chase to fall to six if that's who you want and again I wouldn't be mad at him at all 
you know, he's not one on my big board, but he's number two. Uh, I do not think number one on my big board ultimately becomes the pick, but it's my big board, not Howie's. So, you know, at the end of the day, it it, it very well may be Jamar Chase, and I would not be fucking mad at that at all. That's one of the main guys I want. Obviously, it's why he's at two, but I think for this to happen, there's going to have to be a lot of movement. Jacksonville's going to take Lawrence, so you've got the Jets at two. You know, Miami at three, maybe they want to move back, get some more picks or whatever the case may be. Atlanta at four. You're going to need teams to come move up to get these quarterbacks, Zach Wilson, Justin Fields. That's what you're going to need to increase the likelihood that Jamal Chase, excuse me, Jamar Chase falls to number six to where he can become a Philadelphia Eagle. Number one on my big board this may not be super popular. Don't really give a shit. Panay Sewell, offensive tackle out of Oregon. This is a dude, again, trend in the top five, another 2020 opt-out. I don't imagine the Bengals would pass on Sewell if he's there, if he makes it to five. But if he does and they're stupid enough to pass on him, that's my guy. That's my guy. Why? He's a generational prospect at left tackle. Generational. 6'6", 325, dude was a day one starter at left tackle as a freshman. Didn't allow a single sack in 2019. Had a nine-game stretch where he didn't allow a single pressure. A single fucking pressure. Think about that. He became, uh, that year, the first sophomore ever to win the Outland Trophy, the best offensive lineman in college football. First time ever to have that honor bestowed on a sophomore. Big shit, man. Big shit. And Sewell's a guy that, you know, he fires off the ball with urgency. Uh, You know, in the running game, he brings tremendous momentum with him uh, to impact with the first block. Dude's a bulldozer. Once he reaches his guy, he's going to move him out of the picture. Point blank. You know, he gets to the second level extremely well. He's got great body control and exceptional balance for a dude his size. His size. He's got great vision. He can see the field well. You know, and pass pro as well. He's got he, – he plays with great leverage. Uh, he's got a powerful hands. He's got a great initial punch. Um, if he gets beat off the line, you know, it happens. He's another guy that can recover very, very quickly – Sewell's a guy that is good enough to transcend scheme. He is scheme-proof. It doesn't matter what you run, what offense you run. He can play and excel in any offense. He's that good. Uh, you know, and keep in mind that he's only going to just continue to get better as his body continues to mature to his frame. That's, you know, that's just the truth of it. And, again, you can never be truly 100% sure, but – on a guy, but I think Sewell is a lock. I think he's the safest pick in this draft, and it's not even debatable, in my opinion. That's why I've got him at number one. To recap, 10 through one at number 10, J.C. Horn, cornerback, South Carolina. Number nine, Rashawn Slater, offensive tackle, Northwestern. Number eight, Devontae Smith, wide receiver, Alabama. Number seven, Patrick Sertan, Jr., Cornerback out of Alabama, number six, Jalen Waddell, wide receiver out of Alabama. Number five, Caleb Farley, cornerback, Virginia Tech. Number four, Micah Parsons, linebacker out of Penn State. Number three, Kyle Pitts, tight end out of Florida. 
Number two, Jamar Chase, wide receiver out of LSU. And number one, Panay Sewell, offensive tackle out of Oregon. And again, for me, I think if you're going to build around Jalen Hurts, which is what Jeff Lurie wants, of course, weapons come into play there, right? But you can – there's going to be decent receivers likely available at the top of the second round as well. So if – if you don't get a Chase, if you don't get a Jamar Chase or Jalen Waddle, that's and this is my thinking. It's probably not going to be that of Howie's, but you can always get a guy at the top of round two. And no, it's not going to be Jamar Chase or Jalen Waddle or Devontae Smith. No, it's not going to be somebody like that. But you're damn sure not going to get offensive linemen of that caliber that at that point in the draft either. Again, Sewell is generational. I just think when you have Lane Johnson that's 30 years old uh, and he's had some injury shit. You don't know yet what Andre Dillard can be. He missed all this year with an injury. No disrespect to Jordan Melata, but, you know, Peters is still trying to linger around like a fucking albatross. But do you really want Jason Peters out there again? Eh. You know, this offensive line is going to get guys back. Brandon Brooks is going to be back if he can stay healthy. Like, the pieces are there to a degree. Jason Kelsey's coming back. Like, I, I just think if you have the opportunity, if you truly want to build around your quarterback, then what, what's what's the best way to invest in your quarterback? You keep his ass upright. Can't keep him upright without, you know, a, a guy that is as generational as anybody at the position. Panay Sewell is going to end up having, you know, as, as good a career as anybody at left tackle. It, 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 this side of 2000, in my opinion, you know, I mean, I, uh, Joe Thomas, maybe, I don't know, but I, this guy is a lock. When you talk about safe picks, Sewell is as safe as it gets to me. You know, Lane Johnson, when he's healthy, you've got him on that right side. You can plug and play Panay Sewell and you can figure out the Andre Dillard situation later. Maybe you kick me a into guard or whatever the case may be. You can figure all that shit out. I just, my thought process is, and again, this could be, you know, just me being a, you know, a toad and playing and, you know, coaching the offensive and defensive line for, you know, years. Over the course of my life, I'm always going to be partial to offensive and defensive linemen, especially offensive linemen. Your quarterback is nothing without guys to keep him upright. Look what happened last year to the guy that you guaranteed $109 million to. Look what happened to fucking Pat Mahomes in the Super Bowl. It doesn't matter who you have on the outside if you don't have anybody in the trenches to keep his ass clean. Point blank. That's why I've got Panay Sewell at the top of my big board. Who do you have? What's your big board look like? Hit me up. I'm curious to find out. At Greasepole Podcast on IG. At Greasepole Pod on Twitter. I'm always down for draft talk, questions, any of that good stuff. Let me find out what your big board looks like. Shoot it to me. Who's at the top? I'm sure it's not Panay Sewell, but give me who it is and tell me why. In the meantime, we are going to go figure out who faces off in the round of 32 in the Gear Freaks Gear Madness bracket. Hopefully, all four Philly teams advance. Hopefully. Uh, Your boy might have to ballot stuff for the birds to keep them alive a little bit. But uh, we will see you there. You can follow along again voting is going to happen all week at Twitter, at Gear Freaks Pod for all the regions. You can follow along on Instagram as well, at Gear Freaks Pod. Hit us up for the link in the Discord. In the meantime, I will see you back here next week for even more draft talk as it is. Hashtag draft season, ladies and gentlemen. I'll see you then for more draft shit. As always, 
Go Birds. Yo, how'd Barkley put it? <laughs> Looking like another grease pole night in Philly. 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 Thanks. Philly.